Um, so we've been talking about God's power. And we said that um, for God's power, that we are a people that God wants to move in in power. He wants to move through us, right? In power. He, wants to, he wants to do things in us. And he wants to do things through us. And this is who he is and what he wants to do. So we said that the prerequisite for this, for this prerequisite for power is humility. Humility, right? God gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, right? Those who can do it in their own strength, trying to figure out in their own strength. But he gives grace. He pours himself out in power to those who are walking in humility. And humility is like, hey, God, I can't, only you can. I'm fully dependent upon you, right? So that's, that's it. Second thing we looked at last week was that these trials, these hardships, these difficulties and persecutions that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians. See, listen, when these hardships and all these really, really difficult times come in life, you know what I do? I, listen, I celebrate. And we're like, are you serious, right? Trials and persecutions. I mean, listen, guys, things you don't even use in our language in our world, right? Persecutions, right? Getting beaten. He got beaten three times to the point they literally thought he was dead. And he goes, I celebrate those. Are you a fool, right? He's saying, no, no, no. Because what those do is they expose that in my own strength and in my own power, I can't do it. And you know what I mean? I just can't do life. I can't do it. I can't do, I can't do anything of, as of worth or of value. And so when difficult seasons come, I celebrate. Not that they're happening, but I celebrate the fact. I celebrate the fact that when I am weak, God is strong. Right? In my moment of weakness, there's like this supernatural thing. You need to hear that. It's like literally when I get into my moment of hardship and difficulty and I put my hands and say, God, I can't do it anymore. It's like there's just this supernatural release in the heavenlies. That's why Jesus, God says, I oppose the proud, give grace to the humble. Right? My grace is sufficient for you. For when you are weak, that's when I'm strong. It's this dynamic that goes down. We don't talk about much in our culture, but Paul's saying, listen, and, and, and Jesus is saying it too. Celebrate your weakness. Celebrate difficulties and hardships because, and get there and go, I can't do it. I can't. In my own strength, there's no way, right? And what God says, thank you for getting out of my way. I mean, really, thank you for getting out of my way because watch what I'm going to do now. And so that means when difficulties, so name your difficulties, Paul prayed they would go away. You pray, God, take them, remove them. But even the first moment they come, our response is, but God, I'm going to come and celebrate even in my moment of hardship right now. I hate this, but I embrace it. Because I, and I'm going to say to you, I can't fix it. I can't do it. Only you can. Right? And there's this dynamic going down that power then is released into our lives. Power is released into our lives. So that, that first building block was that, right? It's humility. The building block of being a people of power It's humility. The second building block is godly love. Godly love. Now, we've said again and again that Jesus is our model. Jesus is the model for us of what every human being should look like. It's not one of 31 flavors you get to choose from. He is, he is the model. And the expectation then is that, that at the end of our day that we look like Jesus, we act like Jesus, that our life looks like his. We said Philippians 2 gives this expression where it says Jesus, this is a description of Jesus, didn't, Jesus didn't strive for equality with God. He didn't strive for power. He didn't strive for godhood. It says, but he cho- chose the nature and life of a servant. He chose the nature and the life of a servant. Let that sink in because in our culture, we don't do a great job of understanding or we can't we have a hard time understanding what a servant is because we just don't have them anymore. Right. We don't have slaves. Praise God. Walking around 
the shores, in the, excuse me, in, the, in, the, in America. We don't have that, right? We don't have these, this forced slavery. But, but, but Jesus is saying, listen, I could have chosen to come as an all-powerful king, but I didn't. You know what I, can't? I chose to come as a slave, as a servant, chosen Chosen, it's a bond slave. A bond slave, person in their freedom chooses slavery, chooses to be a servant. And so Jesus comes and says, my model and my example to you is a life of service, right? It's a life here of choosing the life of a servant, the nature of a servant. A servant has no rights. They can't go where they want to go. They can't do what they want to do. A servant is, is completely, their life is dictated by the one who is their master. And Jesus is saying, Listen, Father is my master. Father is my master. And everything that I have, I'm dependent upon him. As Matthew, the testimony of Matthew 4. I have nothing, I have nothing apart from God. He says, he says man, human beings live, do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. He says, I'm dependent upon the mouth of God speaking. I'm fully dependent upon him. It's a sign of humility, right? But his godly love, he begins to express is this. Jesus expressed power, didn't he? We've all know it. Jesus expressed power in his life. But that power was birthed out of a servant's heart. He was serving God because he's a servant, right? The very nature and life of a servant. He served and that's why he expressed power, right? His power was an expression of him loving, serving God and serving his neighbor around him. And what we could say then is that that heart of service was birthed out of a love for God. Right? His love for God. He had a godly love inside of his heart. That godly love motivated him to serve. And that service was expressed in power. And so when we talk about this message of power being a people of power, I want you to hear me say this morning that it has to be rooted and grounded in godly love. That has to be the foundation. It has to be the place. Now, I've been speaking for the last couple of weeks and telling you and quoting this guy named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen, in the eyes, he's a Catholic priest, okay? And he was a great man. He loved Jesus. And he aspired to a high place in the Catholic tradition. He was a professor at Notre Dame. He was a world-renowned speaker. And I'm going to guess, I know for sure, but I'm pretty sure the Pope knew who he was. That's a pretty big deal, right? And so Henry now is this great man who have had all these awards, all this stuff. And along the way in his life, somewhere later in his life, the love of God began to stir something in him. He had a friend working at a ministry called Le Arch. Le Arch basically worked with uh, basically mentally handicapped men. And, and he felt this love of God stirring him to leave where he was and to go to lay arts. And so he did. And he said he walked in the door. This man, I think his name was Bill, walked up to him. And, and, and Bill, mainly handicapped, looked at him and says, who are you? Who are you? And, he said, and all of a sudden he knew in the moment. He doesn't care. what He, he has no idea what the Catholic tradition is, is probably. He has no idea what Notre Dame is. All the titles that I've possessed in my life, they probably mean absolutely nothing to him. All the places that I've spoken, he's probably never even heard of. And he said, I sat there and all of a sudden realized everything I'd ever aspired to and accomplished in life was worthless to Bill. All Bill wanted to know was, Henry, do you love me? That's all he wanted to know. 
I don't, he didn't, because nothing else meant anything to him. He says, all of a sudden I had this crisis of identity. Because in the moment I recognized everything I'd ever accomplished and ever done in life didn't matter to these men that I'd be serving the rest of my life. All they wanted to know was, Henry, do you love me? You see, we talk about the, this godly love stirring up inside of us. It stirred up in Henry to the point where he had to serve, right? It raised him up to service. And guess what happened? The power of God's love was manifest both in his own life and through him to the life of these men, right? This, this godly love, this God-first love, just welled up inside of him. So he's like, I've got to serve those who are in need. And he gave his life away. And God's power of God's love was expressed both in his life. He, he basically say, he says, listen, I realized everything I was created for was for this moment. Everything I'd accomplished in life and all the awards, all the things, the adulations I've gotten, didn't matter a hill of beans to this man. All he wanted to know was, do I love him? And I recognized in the moment, that's what I was created for. Godly love stirring inside of us motivates us to service, and that service then expresses power. If we want to express power, then we have to have a heart of service, and it's birth out of godly love. One of the stories of this we see in Scripture that really gives a great picture of this godly love is 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12, 31b, the last half of 31, going to the first verse of chapter 14 of Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn there and read along with me, or you can cheat and read on the screen, which is fine says this, 31b. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If you've never read this before, if you haven't read it in the last, let's say, three hours, I want you to really, really pay attention, okay? And now Paul's saying, I will show you the most excellent way of life, basically. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or a a mature human being, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see in part, excuse me, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the end of that, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So chapter 12, 
Paul comes and gives them direction and clarity on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Specifically focusing on the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. And he looks at them and says, listen, I want you to eagerly desire all of these. So at Vintage, you say, we celebrate all of these gifts and we want to see them in action. Paul's saying, we love these gifts. We want to see all of these gifts in action, right? But you're abusing them. So I've got to help you understand to not abuse them anymore, right? They're not really being ultimately used for God's purposes when you gather together. So let's hear some teaching, hear some training on the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that you will use them well. Because I want to express them when you gather together. But then he makes a clarifying statement in verse 13 about a better way, about a better way. And it's as if Paul is coming and saying, listen, I understand humanity. Humanity, man, we're drawn to power. We're drawn to control. That's why we love these gifts because, man, they're like, they're just really cool gifts, right? And they're, and they're powerful gifts. And we have the gift of faith that can move mountains, right? These are all powerful things. And Scripture says, man, let's move in all of these things. We celebrate them. But Paul comes and says, listen, but I, I've, under, I've come to this realization over the last ever how many years. I've come to this realization that as great as those are, they pale in comparison to the better way. They pale in comparison. So I want to say to you, yes, I want you to earnestly desire these gifts, and yes, I want you to eagerly desire them, but I want to tell you about the, the, the superior way, the, the way that supersedes all of these gifts that must be your primary heart pursuit. And so then he comes in and he begins describing to them in a, in a very effective way because he just names some great things. He just names this understanding of love. And he just names, lays out all of these things. And in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That follow the way means pursue, means primary pursuit. Basically means that the primary pursuit of a life, listen, of a life of godly love of loving like God loves, of loving like Paul expressed here in chapter 13, that is far more important than anything you do with power. Basically what he comes and says is, listen, if you're going to move in the power gifts, you're going to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they have their foundation and their starting point from godly love expressed that it then leads to service, which then allows us to express power. The way of love, of godly love. So what do we mean by this godly love in our lives? Well, if, if, you, if you've ever heard, have you ever heard the word love, right? Now, we use it all the time. But in Greek, there are a lot of different definitions to the word love, or different expressions. They have just a, a, an unbelievable amount. And uh, the three we're talking about this morning, uh, I'm going to name three this morning. The first two are the ones that we're most used to in, on earth. The first one is eros. Eros comes from the, basically means the passions, right? The passions, the, this, this is the erotic love. This is the, the sexual nature of who we are and our makeup of our sexual self, right? It's just the passions that arise in us. And if, if you watch TV for five minutes, you know, man, our culture is really big about focusing on eros. It's the, oh my gosh, boom, they meet and they have sex and then they leave, right? It's the whole, this is the passions well up. All of us understand this. We see it all the time. If you're afraid to talk about it, you can't live in our culture, right? You need to get comfortable at least talking about eros because it's how, it's how our culture defines love in so many ways. 
The second one is another way that we define love in our culture. And, and, and the Bible mentions it 25 times, which is phileo. Phileo has in mind friendship love. It's defined as, as friendship love. This is that love that's based on feelings and based on emotions. Right? It's based on the qualities that you find most admirable in somebody and that you are attracted to. This type of love, it requires attention and reciprocation. Basically, I love you because you love me. Or I love you because you bring me pleasure. Or you bring me joy. Now, the phileo love is talked about in Scripture as, hey, we have this type of interaction between us and the Father and between and one another. We talk about it in, the, in, the, in, in our marriage relationships. There's supposed to be this type of fellowship type of love, this friendship love that we're supposed to have. It's, an, it's important we can have that, right? But, but that's not the end. That's not the end. That's not ultimately godly love. The godly love that we're getting at that talks about that Paul is describing in chapter 13, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is the word agape. Now, a lot of us have heard of the word agape. Now, agape has in mind the love that gives. It's love that gives. It's lo- Listen, it's love that gives that has no taking involved. It's not a give and take. It's just a give. Right? This is godly love. The, the giving away of this love, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, it's basically demonstrated. It's demonstrated, obviously, in Christ's sacrifice. We named it this morning. His sacrifice. He came to earth, right? Knowing that majority, majority, I mean, it says that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life. The understanding is that, it, that, it, that Jesus would die for a whole lot of people who would never, for humanity who would never turn to him. He came to earth and lived this life. People who would never reciprocate that love to him. It's agape love, right? One of the primary expressions we see in Scripture of where this love is supposed to be expressed is in the, the marriage relationship between husband and wife. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, agape your wives. As Christ loved the church, right? Husbands, love your wives, expecting nothing in return. Give to them. Expecting nothing in return. Titus says the same thing. Titus 2, 4 says, Wives, agape your husbands, give without an expectation of receiving anything in return. Now, we all know that romantic emotional love between husband and wife, at best, just ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Up and down. Some days you're feeling phileo, sometimes you ain't feeling no phileo. You know what I'm talking about, right? And at the worst case scenario, it just completely disappears all together. But the idea is that, that even, this, with, even with the loss of romantic love, it's never an appropriate excuse for dissolving a marriage. Because the love that God specifically commands us to have for one another in our relationships is agape love. It's this love that is based on willful choice. I'm willing to choose to love, regardless of emotions regardless of attractions or whether it's deserving or not. Now, the great thing, a lot of most of the time, is that when we choose agape love, this selfless, sacrificial, giving away love because I'm choosing to do it, because I'm called to do it, because it's the nature of agape love, is that a lot of times, and hopefully most of the time, phileo love begins to, to arise in the midst of that. 
But phileo love does not lead to agape love. Agape love leads to phileo love. And God is saying, what I'm expecting for every single one of you is this agape love, this self-sacrificing, giving it away, even though you're not getting anything in return type love, not just for God, but also for your neighbor. Listen, let's just be honest. We are really bad at this. We love most of the time because we get something in return. Men, let's be honest. We pursue a girl because she's hot. And when we first see her, something happens in return to us. Right? Just because you're married, you don't forget those moments. That's what happens. Our, our love is birthed out of this attraction, this phileo love. But the love then that God calls and says, but if you're going to get married, you have to recognize phileo love takes a very distant second to primary love, agape love. And it's self-sacrifice and it's giving, even though you receive nothing in return. This is the type of love that God is calling us to have. This is godly love. And so when Paul then is looking at the Corinthians, he's looking at them and saying, Listen, I recognize your pursuit of power. I recognize your fleshing out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And hey, that is great. But I want to be clear about something. Number one that you have to have a godly love from which those that's birthed. And basically what he comes and he says in so many words, this would be difficult for you to receive. He basically looks at them in chapter 13. He basically says this. If you're expressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they're not birthed out of service because of godly love, then they are inauthentic. They are inauthentic. He says, I don't care if you can have the gift of tongues and interpret tongues all day long. I don't really give a rip. If you have, do not have godly agape love from which it's being birthed out of, you're not expressing this every day of your life as a component of love that you're sharing with God and with your neighbor, then you're missing the boat. You're a clanging gong and a resounding cymbal. I don't care. He says, I don't care if you have the prophetic word where every single person here, you know everything going on in their life, and you have faith to believe that literally moves mountains. Because Jesus talked about that. I don't care if you got that. If it's not birth from a heart of service, birth out of love, godly love, agape love, with an expectation of receiving nothing in return, then it's inauthentic. It is agape love. It is the better way. So, I believe what we could say is this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the expression of power in our lives that we're called to exhibit, will only be expressed in their truest, in most Christ-like form, when they have in mind Jesus' command from Matthew 2, 39 and Paul's command, Galatians 5.14, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was the great command, wasn't it? The great command wasn't to go and do powerful things. The great command was to love God, agape love God, and to love your neighbor. See, the interesting thing, agape love, basically could be summed up as this, the power to love those whom we do not like and who do not like us. And let me just say this to you. You can't do it in your own strength. Why do you think Jesus in Luke 24 and Acts 1 said, Hey, 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 you got to wait in Jerusalem. I've got to send you my spirit. Because when he comes, he's going to give you power. Power to do what? Power to raise the dead and heal the sick and all that kind of stuff. No. 
The power to love. The power to agape love, because in your own strength, you can't sacrificially love anyone without expecting something in return. The only way that you can love with a godly love to love God and to love your neighbor is by giving your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming and empowering you in your life. I would say, number one, if you're struggling in your marriage, the first thing to ask is, are you a Christian? Because it's hard to love your spouse if Jesus isn't present. The power of the Holy Spirit is not present to love through you. Okay? Number two, if you're, if you're in this difficult place of life relationally with your wife, with your friends, then you need to get to this point and say, my call in these relationships is to agape love, expecting nothing in return. Did you hear that? You love expecting nothing in return. It is the only model available to us. Right? There's no 2013 model of Jesus of phileo and erotic love only. There's only the agape love version, which says that your call, and it hurts, is to self-sacrificially love to the point of death, because that's your call. You see, the church at Corinth, guess what? They were divided into three factions, one, two, and three. And Paul's looking at him saying, basically what he's saying, he's, it's humbling, in chapter 13 he's saying, your gifts are inauthentic and not completely real. Why? Because you're walking in division when you walk inside of the, your, your church on Sunday morning. And because of that, it's a sign to me you don't have agape love because you're not sacrificially loving people that you don't like. You're not serving them. All you do is sit there and whine all day long about how bad they are and how they're so mean. Why don't you love them instead? And I would tell you this, if you want the power of God to move in you, if you're sitting there whining about people not returning your love, then agape love, then God's power is not moving through you. Unfortunately, sorry. Godly love always leads to service, which leads to God's power being released in your life. Love your enemies. Bless them. Don't curse them. Turn the other cheek and suck it up and stop being so selfish. Steve, I'm speaking to myself. This is the agape love. We want the power of God to move at vintage. Then we have to agape love. We have to be self-sacrificing. We have to give our life away. 1 Corinthians 13, listen, hear this, and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 13 Paul has in mind Jesus dying on the cross. That's what he's picturing. He's picturing love for those that we don't like and that we want to hate with everything inside of us. He says, that's where you start loving. And when you do that, everything you've been longing for in power will flow through you. I said this at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to say it here just to be fair. If you spent more time focusing on the power of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all this stuff, and you haven't seen them, it's probably because you haven't focused enough time in your life on agape loving those you don't want to love. But I'll just tell you this, it's real simple. 
stop reading books and stop going to the seminars and stop going to the conferences and just embrace godly love and godly humility. You know what happens? It's a natural overflow of God's heart that when he shows up in you, everything comes out of him, including the power. Humility and agape love. All right, let's pray. Father, we just tell you we don't like this message very much. and We don't like that part of the Bible very much. But we praise you that it's the complete story. That, Father, you want, us to, you want to move in power in us. You want to move in power through us. But, Father, we recognize that it's birthed out of humility. That's when you move. And if we're not loving sacrificially with agape love, then it's a hindrance for your spirit moving. And so, Father, we come today and we say, we come in our weakness We highlight our weakness as saying, we don't know how to love well. We don't know how to love well. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us. If you need to convict us of our pride, people we don't want to like because they've done us wrong, Scripture says you don't keep no record of wrongs. We don't remember them. We don't keep it in mind. We let it go. We are quick to forgive. It's patient when everything around us is pushing back on them. It's kind when someone's being really mean to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've come to empower us to do this and that we are capable of agape loving. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.